Welcome, friends, to episode 33 of the Fast and Fabulous podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Montone. I'm a full-time mom, fasting coach, and podcaster. My entire adult life was always centered around losing weight and got exceptionally difficult after having children. I had tried everything. Pills, shakes, wraps, counting calories, over-exercising. I was the ultimate yo-yo dieter. Until January 2020, when I discovered clean, intermittent fasting. Three years later, I'm down 50 plus pounds, but most importantly, I've been able to maintain a healthy weight and ditch diet brain for the first time in my adult life. So please stop counting calories and stick with me because we all have the power to lose weight and keep it off naturally. Best of all, it's absolutely free. Please remember to consult your physician before embarking on an intermittent fasting lifestyle. Also, please do not use any of the following information in place of medical advice. Are you new to the fasting world, jumping back in, or just need a help breaking through an old plateau? With all of the knowledge and resources out there, it is okay to still need some help. Did you know I now offer coaching? Helping others find this freedom and setting them up for a lifetime of optimal health and wellness is my passion, and I want to help you. Please visit fastandfabulouspodcast.com to learn more. Okay, everyone, I am so excited today to have Donna Sherman on the show. Donna was first introduced to me through our friend, Lisa Glick. If you recall, she was episode 14 and 32 of this podcast. And after an inspirational chat on the phone, we really connected and I learned that in addition to being the host of the Sparks in Action podcast, which I'll link in the show notes, Donna is also a faster. And for many years, Donna worked as a licensed clinical social worker and therapist in hospitals, mental health clinics, universities, and private practices. Much of Donna's work is focused on offering evidence-based, effective tools to help with pain management, anxiety, enhancing focus, and developing positive health-promoting behaviors. In addition to her work as a behavioral consultant and coach, Donna is a longtime teacher of mindfulness-based stress reduction, mindfulness-based interventions, meditation, and yoga, all of which she offers to individuals, community groups, school systems, and businesses, which is so, so amazing. Donna's fasting story is really incredible, and this episode is so powerful. Enjoy. I have Donna Sherman, and Donna has a very, very cool intermittent fasting story. It's really unlike anyone that I've talked to. And so I really am excited for her to share it. Honestly, Donna, you have such an amazing podcast. Um, I will put the the link in the show notes. It's called Sparks in Action. It's such a beautiful podcast and I really enjoy it. So go check it out. Donna, you're also not not just a podcaster, you are wear so many hats. You're a licensed social worker, a therapist and a meditation and yoga instructor. Is that right? That is correct. Oh my gosh. How do you wear all these hats? That must be a crazy schedule. Well, it all, it all happened organically. You know, I started out as a 
clinical social worker and was working in the mental health field. And as I became genuinely interested in meditation for my own needs, not to apply it to my clinical work, just as a human on this earth, um, it became integrated into my life. And that this was way back before John Kabat-Zinn and MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction, was really known in the world. So I had a meditation practice, and then I went and studied with him and the people at UMass Medical so that I can feel a little better about applying it into my clinical work. So that piece just happened sort of organically. It just had a life of its own. I didn't plan it. Mm -hmm. And then with yoga, Michelle, very similarly, I was practicing yoga for myself because it was a form of movement and and working with the mind, really, which is what yoga is about, working with the mind and emotions that appealed to me. And then I, my yoga practice just kept deepening and I was fortunate. I'll just, I'm giving you the short version to find an amazing woman named Kiran Mishra, a woman actually from a lineage in India who was uh, living and teaching around where I lived near Princeton, New Jersey at the time. So I studied in depth with her, not planning to become a yoga teacher, just deepening my practice. Mm-hmm. And then several years later, my schedule opened up a little bit so that I was able to attend her yoga teacher training and apprenticeship program. So all these things just occurred and informed each other. And with time, I was able to take the meditation and yoga and apply it when and how appropriately into my clinical work. I absolutely love how that all evolved for you because being somebody who is very, I I believe in yoga. I believe in the practice. I am working on the meditation part. Uh, Maybe you can help me in that, but we're, we're here. Like, you know, I want to know we're talking about intermittent fasting, of course, as we always do. And Donna, you fell into intermittent fasting kind of by accident. Can you explain that to our listeners a little bit? (laughs) Absolutely, Michelle, complete accident. Um, uh, The streamlined version is that I uh, went through, unfortunately, thyroid cancer. I'm sorry. And so thank you. And um, in the course of even pre-thyroid cancer, I was having an autoimmune, autoimmune, excuse me, issue whereby I was taking thyroid medications. That's before we discovered that there was a cancer growing. So the, the, the short story is that because I was taking thyroid, uh, every morning, I had to wait at least an hour before any food, which really was no problem. I was never hugely hungry in the morning over the course of the years you know, then of course I went through the cancer and then my whole endocrine system was haywire, but that's a separate story. What wound up happening is I just found myself not wanting to eat in the morning. I'd have a full glass of water and you and I've talked about this. And then about an hour and a half after the thyroid meds had a little time to do their magic, I would have my coffee. I am an avid coffee drinker. Um, And so what wound up happening, again, organically, without really me intending it, is that 
I would just wait longer and longer periods because I was feeling no hunger in the morning. And I loved the sense of lightness. I loved mm-hmm. that I felt just lighter in my midsection, you know, that you, you, we all know, uh, let's oh, yeah. face it, that, you know, it's sort of not to be gross, but because we all do this, I mean, we all know, and, you know, we shouldn't be squeamish about this. We all know that after a bowel movement, <laughs> very sure. adult term. We know? can talk about poop here. It's okay. Okay. After poop, <laughs> yeah. you know, we all feel so much lighter. So, you know, so take that feeling and then magnify it more by mm-hmm. having not food in your system for a while. I began to feel very energized and good. And so that I didn't call it anything. I just called it listening to my body. Imagine, imagine, imagine that you were so in tune. See, you didn't come into this for weight loss when, when we have a lot of, am I wrong? Like you, you weren't looking to shed any weight. Like a lot of people come into fasting. I lost a little, I lost a little too much weight during the cancer, but go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, so for our listeners, she didn't come into this. She was, you know, suffering with a thyroid problem. She later found out it was thyroid cancer, unfortunately, but she was taking a thyroid pill, which I know my mom has thyroid issues. You have to wait to eat after you take the pill. So it's just kind of really cool how this all evolved because you were just really in tune with your body. And it's hard to hear your body when there is you know, a layer of, of, of like, for lack of better words, words, fat, you know, and then when you, when you're like almost deafened, your body is deafened a little by actually a lot for with, when you have extra weight and you're carrying that around, it's like, you can't hear. So it's very interesting that you were able to hear your body so, so, so early and fasting just came naturally to you. So explain to us how, when you realized, oh, I'm, I'm intermittent fasting <laughs> and how did that really change your trajectory? How did it change your thyroid condition? And do you think it's changed um, your outcome where you are today? That's a good question. And I just want to, before I answer that, I love what you said about sort of being deafened by, you know, whatever it is, whether it's too much fat, whether it's too much mental activity going on about how we eat and what, 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 you know, or too much self-criticism or whatever it is, or too much narrative and story. I think that's a beautiful way of putting it, being deafened. I just want to say that that's just like the the therapist in me speaking, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. I, I think you like hit something so, so concisely there. Did you fast through your cancer and all of that? No, I mean, no. I mean, I just did whatever my medical team told me. Right. But again, in the mornings, I wasn't eating because A, wasn't hungry. And, you know, so you could say I was intermittent fasting light, quote, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you use that term. And what did I notice? I think it's so hard to tease it all out because there was so much dysregulation endocrine wise going on. But without a doubt, sort of just having feeling lighter in the morning, knowing, Mm -hmm. wow, I really don't need to think about food right now. I think it gave me a physical and a psychological sense of spaciousness. Right. That makes sense. Right. Because oftentimes, to be really honest with you, still to this day, sometimes I can wake up very, very tired because my sleep quality can be very poor because it's a wacky endocrine system. Mm -hmm. So 
kind of keeping everything like it what I knew what I knew to be true is that putting food in my body first thing was not going to give me energy. Yeah. Particularly me being a person who loves bread and all of that, that wasn't going to do it for me. The lack of energy sometimes in the morning had to do with other issues. So there mm-hmm. wasn't, I realized there was no conflict there, despite the fact people would say, well, we don't eat breakfast. And I knew, but I wasn't in the term, this is 2011, intermittent fasting wasn't really like no. a thing that I knew of, was right. it? No, was it, not really. Was it going on? No, I mean, you know, it, it's interesting. It, it goes back, I'd say, I feel like around 2018, 2017 is when people started to talk more about it. And now it's becoming almost mainstream, although there's very different interpretations of uh, how the proper way to fast is. But, you know, with fasting and with your thyroid problems, do you think the fasting has ultimately benefited you? Like delaying your, your food even delaying the cream in your coffee and having that coffee like, you know, an hour after your thyroid pill in the morning, do you feel like that time in the morning where your body is really just tapping into its own fat stores and really getting into ketosis essentially every day, do you feel like that's helped you get a healthier thyroid back? Um, And do you still have your thyroid? Were they able to keep it? Okay, so let me just start. No, there is no thyroid there. It was too diseased. Okay. So it's okay. gone. It's okay. gone. And that's why I rely on <laughs> the fake stuff. Yes, <laughs> of course. That, thank God. Sure. Thank God we yeah. have it. Um, and I won't go into all the treatment because that's not necessary to this podcast. You know, I would answer any questions, but I don't want to go off track too much. I do. But to answer your question, I without a doubt feel that feeling lighter, no doubt about it, and delaying my window, without a doubt, um, is doing something positive um, to me. You know, a lot of a lot of my friends from the thyroid cancer community and people I know, you know, we have different places where we share. Um, a lot of them have gained quite a bit of weight. Understandably, they they're they're. Uh, and for me, uh, granted, I exercise, I walk, I yoga, I hike. I, I realize I have a pretty healthy lifestyle and I try to eat whole foods and all that imperfectly. You know, I don't, yeah. but I do feel that that period of the day when I, and then when I start, Michelle, to feel a little hunger, mm. I like it. I say, oh, good. This is, we're supposed to feel some hunger. Like, it's cool. I'm not punishing myself because I know there's going to be a time very soon where I'm going to eat and then I'm going to avoid any lightheadedness or any things that could be associated with too much hunger. So I do feel without a doubt that it's added to the mix of lifestyle things that I do that that help. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And I know it's anecdotal. It's not being measured, but uh, certainly my... My um, my endocrinologist is always amazed at my functioning, and I've been told many times, like, "Wow, <laughs> like, what are you well. doing? <laughs> right, just keep doing it." So, I want to unpack something that you mentioned uh, a few moments ago that you have sure. some you connect with other people who've gone through what you have with your thyroid, and a lot of them have gained weight naturally after going through all that, which is a very common. 
um, effect that, that happens after thyroid cancer or any thyroid disease in general, it depends on what your thyroid's doing, but you have not, you have not. And so that is a huge, I say, I think that says a lot about what you're doing for your body every day, keeping your insulin nice and low in the morning, having your window open and then keeping it shut at night. It's just, it really helps your body rest, digest, keep the insulin low. And you look absolutely amazing. I mean, oh, you, everybody you. walks. I mean, listen, you could walk to the cows, come home. You could you, do <laughs> yoga. I did all that stuff and I still couldn't lose any weight. And I really do feel like the the fasting is helping with you just being able to maintain a just a wonderful weight. And it's really hard to do that being, are, are you postmenopausal at this point? Oh, yeah, or are you, I yeah. Am. So you're not only postmenopausal, you're also post-thyroid cancer and look at you. I mean, it's Thank like you. your skin is glowing. You're, you have an amazing figure. I don't think you can ask for anything more. And oh, I really feel like fasting is a huge piece of that equation. You know, yeah. I, and, and, you know, I want to share with you because you said to me, one of your earlier questions was, you know, when did you first hear about it? Yeah. And like I said, in 2011, 2012, when I was in sort of the midst of all this like weird mess with my body, um, again, I never heard the intermittent fasting. Where I first heard about it was through our mutual friend, the wonderful Lisa Glick. We love you. Lisa Glick, uh, shout out. I know out. you're listening probably. <laughs> love you, love you, love you. And I remember um, Lisa talking about it when I, she and I became friendly and um, said to her, you know, A, you're onto something. Like it just mm. makes so much sense. Then I would listen to all, you know, these podcasts, very sophisticated scientists, Humorbin Lab, and all these, you know, great researchers. And basically the research was kind of irrefutable, like intermittent fasting is good for the human body. We're designed for, I know Michelle and I both have our hands up. Like, <laughs> yes, yes, of course. It's the Italian. We're designed for it, yeah. We're designed for it. We've been, as as a species, we've been doing it for centuries. And, you know, it hasn't really been until the past hundred years or so where we've just been focused on food all the live long day. And that's yeah. when all these problems and health issues, uh, chronic autoimmune diseases and all this stuff has really become a huge issue and not to mention the obesity crisis in, in this country and really around the world at this point. So yeah, I mean, it it makes sense. The science is there to back it up. We know that. Um, so if you have thyroid issues, of course, this is not medical advice, go to your endocrinologist, your specialist, and talk to them. And if they're like, no, you know, fasting is terrible for you or something like that, find a functional medicine doctor, find a neuropath, find somebody that will work with you in some kind of way and see if it can be beneficial for you. Am I saying this is going to benefit everyone that who has thyroid disease? No, I'm not a doctor. I can't say that. I know for a fact, not just from your story, Donna, but from a lot of other people who have thyroid issues, fasting is definitely therapeutic when it comes to your thyroid. If you're doing it correctly, if you are doing it under your physician's 
supervision, whoever that physician is, whether it's a functional medicine physician, which I always recommend uh, first and foremost, or a neuropath. And if you can't do that, a lot of doctors are very progressive these days, especially when it comes to fasting. I'm starting to find this out. Some sneer up at it, but like my doctor, my primary care doctor, he's like, I don't know what you're doing, but your labs look great and your weight is great. And, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. And I tell him, I'm like, I don't eat breakfast. And then sometimes I don't eat lunch or I just eat lunch. And he's like, huh? And I'm like, that's great. That's fine. You're healthy. So go ahead. Keep going. And it's and the what question, I mean, it's like, you know, what are you eating? If Michelle's not eating breakfast and maybe sometimes she's not eating dinner. But the question is, well, if you're eating a really nutrient dense meal, then, you know, everyone says like, it's nothing new. We used to always hear the expression, oh, man, this meal is going to keep me going all day. So if there's truth in that, if something's nutrient dense, why do you need three or four of them? And I also think, and again, this is the like therapist and behavioral coach in me, but the more importantly, the human being in me, that I also think that when we sort of dispel some of the myths about our behaviors and we experiment with our behaviors in an intelligent and safe way, in a very intelligent, a very safe way, people, nothing careless, then we also cultivate a really interesting kind of self-discipline. But what I was going to say is that I also think the added benefits happen to be just sort of like breaking ourselves out of a lot of habits about the way we think about our food intake, how we are in the world, what uh, that a hunger pain is a bad thing. It's a signal, you know, and then we like, why is there saying, I mean, wait, let me just stop for a minute. There are places in the world, and I don't want to minimize this, where people's hunger signals are going on all the time, and that's super problematic. And Michelle and I both realize, I'm speaking for you too, because I know you, (laughs) that, that we are in a very blessed and privileged position to be able to choose that. So 100%. Yeah, we're not denying that. So please don't like write us and say, you're denying, because we're not. But I, in fact, think we're, you're, we're living more in harmony with the world in large by not, not sort of buying into the sort of gluttony model or the constant ha- have to have, have to have, have to have. There's, it's sort of like, okay, my aesthetic is kind of minimalized. You can see my office, mm-hmm. right? There's not like, I'm kind of a bit of a minimalist. Well, I feel like that's in general. And again, I'm not preaching people, but I don't want to acquire a lot of things. I I feel like there's a richness in some minimalism and it creates kind of beautiful discipline and paradoxically life is a little richer. And I'm guessing Michelle, when you do open your window, cause your windows are a lot longer than mine are, I'm imagining, and I would love to hear you say something about that, even though I know you're interviewing me, I would imagine when you do eat that meal, what is that like for you? Like how you, when you prepare it, what you think about it? You take a lot more care into it. You put a lot more thought into what's going in, how you're preparing it, how much of it you want. You sit down, you enjoy it. And I want to just say, going back to what you were saying before about hunger pains and making this really like looking at it as a discipline, because that is something that is a word that I love to use. 
And I love to use it with my clients. I love to use it in my podcast because this is a discipline. And if you look at it that way, it becomes this beautiful tool in your life. Yeah. When you open your window and yes, we're very fortunate. We fast because we can, and we understand we're in a very blessed position to do that because not everybody, some people are out there with hunger pains because they actually haven't eaten in days and they don't know where they're getting their next meal. And it's awful. If we could just, you know, put that out there that we are doing this by choice for health and for longevity. When I prepare the meal and I sit down, I'm not like, oh, I'm going to eat this really fast, but I eat it really slow and I really enjoy it and I savor it. Mm -hmm. And every single thing that I'm putting in my body, I'm thinking about it because you don't want, like you said, that old saying where this one, you know, this meal is going to keep me going all day where, you know, because they used to tell you breakfast was that meal. Um, Yes, that should be true for what you're eating all the time. And you shouldn't need three or four of those meals in a day to keep you going. It, in fact, if you're eating that many huge meals in a day or even just regular size meals in a day, you're probably going to be more sluggish and slowed down because you're constantly raising your insulin all the time and your body's always expecting food. So yeah, fasting is a beautiful discipline. I love that you use that word. And I use that about everything, whether it's fasting or, you know, keeping up with my, my physical health, like going to the gym, practicing yoga, um, doing cardio and just making sure I'm, I'm strong in, in my physical body too. You know, it's not just in my mind, but in my, in my body, I want to be strong all around. And fasting is a tool that I believe you can, it's like a muscle. You build it up over time. If you're just starting out, you may feel like, how do you not eat for, you know, it just depends. Sometimes I don't eat for 18 hours. Sometimes I don't eat for 16 hours. It just really depends. But how do you do that? How could you possibly go that long? Again, I want to stress, it's like a muscle. You want to build it up over time. Yeah. Right. And it's as as you were alluding to, and we've been talking about that, it really is the the intermittent fasting is just a little piece of this whole living in a way that's more attentive. You know, I've been, a, I, I want to share this, Michelle, I've been a mindfulness instructor and a mind, more importantly, a mindfulness practitioner since the mid 1990s. So a long, wow. long time, right? However, I, what I want to say is I've watched the quote unquote field of mindfulness sort of grow and be accepted. Not Mindfulness isn't a field, it's a practice. However, I've watched medical centers and a lot and educational centers embrace it, which is beautiful. And a piece of mindfulness practice, because mindfulness affects every domain, how you speak, how you interact with people, not because we're trying to be perfect people, we're flawed humans, but we're trying to live with a little more wisdom, a little more skill, a little more intention. So there was this whole movement towards mindful eating. And one of the things you do in your early training, both as a teacher and as a person, is that you spend some meals 
in total silence. I have, when I do groups, I have people do this, go home and in a week um, have choose three meals during the week. And this isn't even talking about intermittent fasting, mm. prepare them with no, no Spotify on, no television, no conversation, sit down, eat the meal slowly. A lot of people first come back and they go, I hated that, but I understand the wisdom of doing it slowly with time. People can do in increments because that's how we make more enduring changes. People can begin to do more and more of it. And then you have a relationship with you and your food. And like what you're describing was when you open your window, you are having a relationship with that meal. That is to say, you are thinking about what you're having. You're sitting down, you're ingesting it. You're not just throwing it in your mouth because it's eight in the morning and you're running out the door. It's just part of a way of living that filters out everywhere. And then I just want to say one thing, which we both also alluded to, which is the mental clarity. You know, it's like, it's like, I know me, like I'm a bread freak. I make my own bread. I eat bread, people. I eat everything. And I try to eat everything in moderation. Um, yeah, like, and I enjoy sweets on occasion, even though my teeth don't like them. But I know now, if I were to do an experiment and I were to wake up in the morning and I were to have, let's say, a big bowl of cereal, even if it's healthy cereal, with a beautiful yogurt, I know my brain function it's just going to get a little foggy. Not terrible, mm -hmm. not like after sugar or something, but it's going to be like, not so good. Mm. Whereas that period of not ingesting my brain function is good. And again, all by accident. <laughs> it's incredible that that's how you discovered this. It, it came from mindfulness, which I, I mean, I, I really, I mean, I would love to dive so much deeper with you with with meditation and mindfulness and yoga and how you can incorporate these things into your fasting practice, because that's something I did yoga at, in my twenties before I even knew what fasting was when I was just counting calories and, you know, busting my butt six days a week in the gym. I bust my butt now six days, in, but it's different. It's different because I'm doing it mindful with a very different mindset, you know, mm. um, it's not to lose weight. It's, it's to really stress and it's to get stronger. And so, yeah, like I would love to really take a deep dive with you on how you think fasting and practicing yoga and meditation could be such a harmonious combination. Let's do it. Let's okay. do it. I would love to do that with you because you have all the um, expertise and knowledge um, about, you know, the mechanisms of what's happening in the body and how to slowly build a fasting program. So we'll, we'll let's talk. Let's let's I do it. That. Let's I create something or or podcast it or create a program. I'm I'm all over it. I would love that, Donna, because I really believe in yoga. I've always believed in yoga. And despite chiropractors, sorry, chiropractors, if you're listening, over the years telling me that it was terrible for my body, this and that, uh, I think that's insane. I see nothing but benefits from yoga, not just for my body, but for my mind. But the thing that I struggle with is meditation. 
And I really think because I have GAD and for those listening, that's generalized anxiety disorder. I've had it my whole life. So I really feel for me, it would be beneficial, but I've never been able to quite, gosh, I just cannot meditate. I feel like I'm just maybe incapable or I haven't been properly guided, but yeah, I feel like if you can really adjust your fasting schedule to incorporate physical activity, number one, any physical activity, it's a game changer, total game changer. But if it's something like yoga, where you are not just working on your body, you're working on your mind, your spirit, your soul. I mean, it is invaluable. So if you're listening and you don't know how to incorporate physical activity and you're maybe not ready to do anything too intense, try some gentle yoga to start. It's insane. It's incredible. The mind opening and the eye opening experience that you will have. And do it fasted, please do it fasted. <laughs> well, well, that's interesting you say that. Uh, some, oh gosh, Michelle, we could be here for seventeen hours. You really could, Donna, <laughs> during a whole total <laughs> fasting, during a whole intermittent fasting. Michelle and I can just keep talking. Um, there's so much there to unpack because the um, the first thing I want to say is that first of all, just on a super, just on a very basic note. One should not have any food in their system about, in a, you know, uh, uh, basically two hours before a physical asana practice, you don't want to eat. Um, so because you really, you know, especially if you're doing some some twisting in the torso, you, you really don't want food in there interfering. So you do want to do it if possible on an empty stomach. That is really optimal, but doesn't have to be by any stretch, people. The other thing is that this is a whole other podcast, but there's so much mythology around what yoga and meditation is. So you said something I hear from people all the time when I run groups, which is, I don't know how to meditate. I can't. I'm not good. I'm not like it's not part of my DNA. And the thing that's problematic is that people have this idea that mindfulness and meditation is a state. It's not a state. It's a trait. And I won't go down mm. into the weeds on that, but again, another time, it's a it's an inclination. It's a way of inclining your awareness and your way of being, but it is not walking around in a state of equanimity. That is bullshit. <laughs> that's just <laughs> and that's just like not what it is. We don't practice yoga or mindfulness to escape life's vicissitudes and life's challenges. We just build it as a practice to live with greater skill. It's actually skill building. It's discipline building. It's understanding our minds. And I, when, when I started studying yoga with this woman, she's now called Parvati Nathananda Saraswati. She's um, like, I'm just going to call her Kiran. Um, you know, it goes by both names. I guess um, w- when I started studying with Kiran and she went deep, the asanas, yeah, we had very rigorous asana training, physical yoga, but oh no, our training was all about studying the books. And as a therapist, I would read the sutras, like the, the uh, sutras are like the little, they're like codified understandings of the nature of mind and body, but really the nature of mind. 
And I would read this and I would say, oh my God, these people were freaking brilliant cognitive psychologists 3,000 years ago. Like they understood so much, just like Buddhism understands a lot about the workings of the human mind. You know, you blend all that together. The You know, there's there's so much in a yoga practice that is complementary and supports living in our modern world. We do not have to go on yoga retreats. We do not have to sit on our meditation cushion for a long periods of time. We can do one minute of practice, of a seated practice, and begin to build a meditation practice. We can do three attentive breaths. We can do it while we're eating because there's two branches. There's formal practice, where we're sitting down and we're intentionally meditating. And as I just said, it can be a minute or two minutes. That's how I tell people to start. And then informal practice, which is living our life with work, with kids, with our jobs, our coaching jobs, whatever, and beginning to cultivate uh, an awareness and cultivate um, an attentiveness so that we're a little less likely to go off the rails of our usual habitual behavior. And or if we do, we have tools that help us come back with a light heart and a sense of humor. So we don't have to get all ponderous about it. So there, all of this was to say that there is a lot of mythology around what meditation practice is and is not. And it's actually highly pragmatic and we can weave it into our very modern, very busy lives in ways that um, don't interfere with us doing the things that we need to do. I love that. And I'm learning so much from this conversation right now. And I would just like to ask as somebody who, like you said, I, I felt I really do feel like it might be in my DNA not to be able to meditate. But now I feel like I might be wrong about that. <laughs> so, so for somebody like me who feels that way, and I and I want to start practicing meditation, you said one to two minutes a day. So how would I go about using that one to two minutes? And when is the best time to do it? Like when you first wake up or just any old time you can find the one or two minutes and how would you, I guess the process, how does that start? What, what, how do you tell people to start? What do you do? Do you just sit there? Do you breathe? Yeah. <laughs> do you just that's sit and breathe? A, it's a, that's a very long conversation and we can talk more about, you know, so if, if you could, as far as time of day, I always go, people ask me that all the time. And I always say, when you're starting, you just do what works for you. Let's say there's a time in the evening, the kids are in bed, whatever. What if you set a timer, set your timer, right, to two minutes and sat in your favorite chair. Don't go out and buy a fancy meditation cushion. Don't call yourself a meditator. Don't make it like a thing, right? We keep it really humble. Keep it simple. <laughs> very simple. You know what you're doing. You don't have to announce it to the world and then make it like this thing. Um, what if you set a timer, sat down in your favorite chair, sat upright, you know, to kind of have that sense of like alertness in the spine, or maybe you do it earlier in the day, then close your eyes 
And we could do it right now for two minutes if you want, or I, I would want to do it. Yeah, let's just do it. And then you and then your listeners will hear. So here we are. So for both Michelle and listeners, we'll just begin it now. So just bring yourself to a comfortable upright position. If you can have if you're in a chair and you can have both feet on the floor, great. If you're listening to this while driving, keep your eyes on the road and just simply let it just come into your brain, but do not close your eyes. Those of you who are seated in a chair, just bring your spine up to its natural length and then just let your collarbones open up like so your 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 chest is open and let your shoulders drop. And tell yourself quietly, nothing has to happen. I am simply exploring. And observe how your body is naturally breathing. So don't try to fix it or breathe in a particular way. Observe that there's a gentle motion that as you inhale, there's some movement in your belly and your chest. And as you exhale, there's some sinking. And there's no right and wrong. We're just dropping into a kind of awakened presence, an intentional, intentional attending to this moment as it is. Now, you might notice that your mind is judging or calculating. That's okay. Don't fight that. Just lovingly see it for what it is. Just a busy mind. It's what the mind does. And just kindly, with a sense of kindness towards yourself, you could even label it like, oh, I'm planning. I'm judging. I'm thinking about the meal I'm going to make. It's fine. No big deal. I'm going to be quiet for 30 seconds. And you're not trying to make anything happen. You are just simply being with the next 30 seconds as it is. Accepting. Experiencing. Not fixing. And you'll hear my voice again in about 30 to 45 seconds. Now, those of you that are doing this with us, and to Michelle who's doing it, we're going to, if it's okay, Michelle, you just nod, um, if it's okay, we're going to do about another two minutes. Okay. So if you opened your eyes, no big deal. And if closing your eyes causes anxiety and you feel safer with eyes open listeners, please do that. It's okay. Just let your eyes rest on one object, for example. But if your eyes are closed, you might want to take one hand and bring it to the center of your chest. doesn't have to be over the heart per se. And another hand just over your navel center and let your elbows drop and your hands will move with your natural breath. Simply 
direct your attention to the contact between your belly and chest and the palm of your hands. There's no doing any of this wrong. Absolutely, you can't do this wrong. I'm going to be quiet this time for one minute. And during this time, your simple instruction is to not fight against a thought if it comes up or emotion. Just lovingly recognize it, label it, and then let your hands and the feeling of breath moving through your body be kind of an anchor point. Because our breath will always take us. It is our doorway into the present moment. That's why so many wisdom practices are based on it. But I don't want to talk much more. I want you to just stay with the simple instruction. And you'll hear my voice in one minute. Good. So feeling this natural movement that's always with you, very slowly, begin to open your eyes, but do this quite slowly and literally feel your eyelids opening so that you're fully experiencing it. And then just if you're at home listening, just resume your eyes open, your self-listening to this conversation. And you have just practiced some guided mindfulness practice. You were doing it. Donna, that was amazing. I, I did exactly what Donna was saying, and I hope you all did too. And the reason I wanted to go through this not just for my own benefit, for everyone's benefit, because something that we deal with in in life, besides just living a hectic life, one thing that we really struggle with is a high cortisol. And having high cortisol is a huge problem. And it could keep your weight from coming off. It could keep you from achieving your health goals. Getting to the point where you can practice a simple one to two minute meditation every day. I wanted Donna to guide us because I'm confused as to how to start meditating, but now I feel more confident to move forward. And I just feel, honestly, I feel calmer in my breath and my, in my mind right now. And I really just listened to her simple instructions. And so for anybody out there that might be dealing with high cortisol, and you feel like that could be a reason why maybe you're being held back from your health goals, give this a try. This is amazing. And it's so simple. You could do it anywhere. Anyone can do it. So thank you so much for guiding us through that. That was really powerful. My pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Um, I have some, so, so listeners know, I do have on my podcast on Sparks in Action, I do have a few short guided practices as well as longer practices called Yoga Nidra, which is a deep restorative practice you do lying down. Um, and see, Michelle, like, here was the thing. It was like, 
it's not about I can or I can, it's in my DNA. You were doing it because you were just doing, you were, you weren't fighting having thoughts or having emotions. You were just kindly accepting them if they came up, not judging, oh, I'm not doing this right. But then utilizing the simplicity of somatic experience, the breath. And by doing that, we override all the narratives of the mind that is always telling us who we are and who we aren't and, you know, uh, judging ourselves so harshly, judging others harshly, um, analyzing, overanalyzing to the point where we've lost connection with our body. Just like you talked earlier on in our conversation about, you know, becoming deaf to, you know, body and just just listening to mind and appetite and um, things that drive us. So yeah, that's so that that's an illustration of just how like simple it can it's be. So simple, it and really it, yeah. is. I thought I needed, like you said, a cushion and you know a, a room or like a spot <laughs> outside with a beautiful view. And every single time I would try to clear my head and meditate, these thoughts they're always going because noise, I mean, our, our life is noisy. And even inside, I mean, you don't want to know what's going inside here, but <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot going on and I can't turn it off. But now I know it's okay to not be able to turn it off and just to accept it, accept those noises. And kind of like by doing that, by accepting that there's these, you know, interruptions in, in my head, I was able to quiet them. I don't know. It was, it was, a, it was weird. Is that supposed to happen? That's the paradox. Exactly that. That is exactly it. Because to use a fancy term, we develop what we call metacognition, blah, blah. Mm. But, but what it real, but it's actually, I shouldn't apologize for using my no. terms because metacognition is when we're actually can step back a little bit from our process and watch it. So what you, you you and hopefully some of your listeners were doing was saying, oh, okay, I just felt some anxiety and that's okay. I'm not fighting that. Or, oh, I was just like, you know, I just went into this whole story about how, oh, I'll never learn to meditate. Um, oh, wait, Donna just said, it's not about that. Well, okay, let me, let me kindly, and we have to do it with a sense of kindness and compassion towards ourselves. It's like ushering a little child. Okay, let me usher myself back to just this feeling of breath, even if it's one breath. And then we've dropped into what we call awakened presence, meaning we're being with what is as it is. Meeting what is as it is, not fighting it and micromanaging it. And if we do that for one or two breaths or one or two minutes, how beautiful. And like with intermittent fasting, we can slowly build it in a way that is congruent with our life, that doesn't disrupt us, and does not stop us from all our responsibilities, but in fact, enhances us in them. Absolutely. And, you know, besides the high cortisol, um, the reason I, and another reason I wanted to dive deeply into this is that. I feel that through meditation and through um, just being able to quiet your mind a couple minutes a day could be very beneficial to your mindful eating and your mindful fasting. So listeners, incorporating mindfulness in your life 
getting a routine down just one to two minutes a day, that's all you need to quiet your mind. It really, really is wonderful. And now I'm a believer and I think that I can meditate. So I'm going to, I'm not going to call myself a meditator, but I am going to try every single day to do exactly that one to two minutes, start there. And I hope you all do too, because it really, I think, can change your trajectory, not just in your fasting and your healthy health journey, but in your life, because life is noisy and it's chaotic. And when you're trying to lose weight, which is what I talk about a lot, it can be super stressful. It's a lot to bite off. So just taking that one to two minutes a day for you and quieting your mind is, is it could be so powerful. So thank you so much for walking us through that and helping me and probably a lot of other people understand (laughs) that meditation doesn't have to be this perfection uh, practice. It's, It's really, really simple. Donna, I usually ask, my final question is always, if you could give somebody a piece of advice to nudge them in the right direction when it comes to fasting, what would it be? And even though you kind of, you fell into this by accident, you're a believer now, you know the science. So I'm going to ask you the same thing. If if somebody's kind of in your position where they're not looking to lose weight, but they're looking to get healthier, or maybe even they're battling a thyroid disease, what would you say to them to nudge them in the right direction to give, give a light fasting schedule a try under their physician's um, approval? Yeah. Yeah. Uh- you just said the first thing I would say, which is physician's approval, because everybody's people, those particularly those without those of us without a thyroid are it's com- more complex. So first talk to your MD without a doubt, physician. Um, I would say I'm a believer, as I had mentioned earlier, in small increments like we just experienced with mindfulness with a little bit of piece of meditation. So I would say Start with really small increments, you know, um, maybe you just delay your meal by an hour or two tops. See what that's like. Um, and, and I would say a lot of, I think of it has to do with like the attitude we bring to it. I think just like we talked about in the meditation, like when we can just kind of bring a kind of gentle kindness towards whatever behavioral change we're making. Kindness isn't, people get confused. They think, well, if I'm kindness, I'm going to, so kind, I'm not going to like train for my marriage. No, 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 no. You're still going to train. You're still going to do what you need to do, but we're not going to be brutally nasty towards ourselves because that has the paradoxical effect of you know, unmotivating us. So we don't need to go into the science of motivation. But so I would say, approach it with a lot of kindness and with an attitude of like, oh, what an interesting experiment I'm doing. It's an experiment. I'm experimenting with a little intermittent fasting. This is interesting. Be curious. I always say be curious about everything. Right? It's like one of my mantras, like just be everything, you know, everything, science, the world, people, when we're curious, I'm going to go down another rabbit hole, but I'll, I'll keep it to two sentences. When we're curious, 
we cultivate that beautiful beginner's mind and that stance in life. So why not be curious with intermittent fasting? In fact, what happens? This is really revolutionary, Michelle. What if you don't even like call it anything? Like with the meditation, you just say, oh, I'm doing something a little different with my food intake. And then you can call it intermittent fasting because you know there's a science and method and people like Michelle help you with it. But so that's it. There's a kind of light touch that I like to advocate, advocate like any undoing of an old patterning and a redoing of a new patterning, building what we would call, you know, some really pro-health positive patterns and habits. Let's be kind. Let's practice compassion and small increments with curiosity. I absolutely love that, Donna. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, for sharing all your amazing wisdom. I, I, I This was super fun. This was so fun. And Me I too. would love to do another episode where we really dive deeply into more of this stuff, especially yoga nidra. Yoga nidra is something I used to practice and deeply believe in, and I would love to get back into it. Donna, this has been absolutely not just mind opening, eye opening. I'm just like, my mind is blown right now. (laughs) So I'm really excited to start my own personal meditation practice. And Donna, thank you for sharing your fasting story and being so open with us about your thyroid health. And I'm so happy that you're in a much better place and you look healthy and you're just beaming health. So I I know that fasting is definitely contributing to your wonderful glowing health that you're just protruding and and your, your beautiful wisdom. I mean, honestly, you, your voice is just so calming and I I would love to take a class from you at some point. That would be amazing (laughs) if I could get up to New York. Donna, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. It was such a pleasure, Rochelle. It's such a joy to talk to you. And I I really, truly mean that. It's just so effortless. (laughs) It's just so alive and so effortless. And I think you're doing, I know how devoted you are um, with your work in the world and how you share so honestly your story. Without a doubt, if you, you know, anytime, you know, contact me and we can, you know, I can give you a little refresher with the meditation or, and we can explore more and more, you know, of, collaborating but um, I would love- thank you this was such a joy I would love it. And for anyone listening, I will link all of Donna's information in the show notes in case you yourself would like to reach out to Donna and start your own yoga or meditation uh, practice. So thank you everyone for tuning in today. Donna, thank you for joining us and y'all have a good day. Be well. Thanks everyone for listening today. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Follow me on Instagram at clean fasting mama. If you would like to hear more on my story or sign up for my newsletter, please visit fastandfabulouspodcast.com. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave me a review. Fast on, friends.